Well, it's been a while, listeners, but uh, we are back. We're gradually firing up to get into our, uh, hopefully, our, our regular weekly episodes again now that fall is uh, upon us. Well, actually, <laughs> winter in our case. <laughs> Did you guys get any snow? I uh, got some hail, I think. Yeah, hail at the end of the day. So that's the what? closest How brush big? to snow that we've gotten. Oh, very tiny because like it melted, you know, within like 10 minutes. Oh, that's even. good. Okay. So, so like tiny. not the size of cows or anything. That's good. No. <laughs> yeah. So no, I, uh, what I do? Oh, so I drove Sinjin back to Calgary and it was nice when we left. By the time we got to Crossfield, it was snowing. And then when I came back, it cleared up. And then by Red Deer, it was snowing again. And this time it was like a whiteout snowing. Mm-hmm. And then just before I got home, Steve called and said, well, it's snowing here. What's it doing there? <laughs> and I said, well, it's clear now, uh, but I guess I'm driving home to snow again. <laughs> so yeah, it was just on and off snow, not snow, snow, not snow. It was like crazy, but it Couldn't wasn't like it was sticking on the ground or anything. No, but, uh, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't last or anything, but yeah, you can see the trend though, right? Like the nighttime temperature is definitely below freezing now. Daytime temperatures are a little cooler. All the leaves are coming off and tis a season, but it could be a lot worse. We've had plenty of seasons where uh, it's been a lot colder and a lot snowier, so I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take this mildness any day. Yeah, and if it can just squeak her out till Halloween, that would be great. Although, I guess you guys heard the the restrictions and things again, so... Not sure what's happening for Halloween yet. Anyway, well, there's there's new restrictions now. Well, basically, before the the long weekend, they decided to to go back to the. Well, it depends on if you're vaccinated or not, too. Now, right? So, if you're vaccinated, you can have up to ten indoors and twenty outside. But if you're not vaccinated, you can only have your two cohorts, and that's it. Because they're they're just really trying to get people to get vaccinated you know, anybody that can. And uh, I mean, if, if you truly can't get vaccinated, you can get uh, a doctor's exemption. That's basically your, your passport, right? But um, if you're in that category, I don't imagine you'd probably be doing much traveling or whatever anyway. So I don't know. Uh, but anyway, it is what it is. So uh, on that note, how was your weeks? What did you guys do this week? And last week, I guess, too. I uh, had Thanksgiving dinner, which was nice. Having some turkey, good old turkey and potatoes and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, that was nice. Uh, what else did I do? Uh, went to a few um, stormwater ponds that uh, we worked on with CES back in the day. Uh, went around to a couple of those and oh, nice. took some pictures and saw if there was any uh, seeds around. In some spots, there were some seeds. and other places it was just too late at that point which i kind of figured but and actually uh i was at aurora on the south side basically a good chunk of the native plants that were planted um along kind of the along the boulevard but kind of closer to the houses um all those are gone now so i think people didn't like (laughs) having native plants that close to their fence line so so did that was kind get, of a bummer. Like, mowed but... or like, do you know what happened? Well, I think they were mowed, but I also think that they just kind of uprooted them or just like got rid of it. Because I think even some spots oh. turf got put in. So, yeah. So, oh, yeah, that my was kind God. of sad. Oh, that's so sad. Stupid. 
those guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know the reasoning for it, but uh... I went to um, I went to Lodge Pound. Yeah, I went went to Lodge Pound. Uh, I think Dan walked on that one too, right? It's so many leafy spurge. So mm-hmm. many. It's like full of leafy spurge. I guess no one has been taking care of it for a while. No, I think with budget cuts and stuff with the city, at least the ones that are maintained by the city, I have to imagine that with COVID happening, a lot of that maps and stuff uh, kind of got uh, put on the side, or at least it doesn't happen as frequently. Because um, I've noticed even just boulevards no, along some streets like that I know have had native plants and stuff put in, just now it's full of like weeds and stuff. And I mean, at this point, like, I mean, they're going to be there next spring too but yeah it's <laughs> it kind of sucks to see and it's like sometimes i'm tempted like i just want to go out there and just like hand pull up myself but at the same time it's like <laughs> that's a lot of work and also probably get in trouble because it's a city thing and i'm like well then do your job to make this look nice because it just looks crappy every time i drive by it <laughs> well and then like the thoughts. native plant society <laughs> they go out and they do stuff yeah they go out and do stuff but of course it's in like park areas because the city i don't know that's a whole different kettle of fish but mm. uh oh that's too bad that's okay though we'll just keep slogging away and and people will change mm-hmm. like is that's the thing with aurora again like everything in the middle stuff looked like it was growing pretty well and actually i could see some native plants i remember we planted kind of in one like there's kind of like little islands within the bigger islands of the area and it's like these little islands of native plants I could see now over, you know, cause when I was there, 2016, it was the first year I was there. And like now, five years later, seeing the stuff spread to different parts, like, oh, I can see, yeah, this came from over here because this is the only spot that had this native plant. So yeah, it's kind of interesting to see how things have changed over the years. But yeah, it, at the same time, it did suck to see that. Like, <laughs> basically, these bigger islands that were kind of on the borders basically are gone now. So yeah, so it goes. Anyways, I was just going to quickly say that also went to Keswick as well. And yeah, that was kind of nice too, seeing some native stuff still around there. So again, that was a smaller pond. So, oh, is it the one that we walked on together? No, not, not with, um, not with, uh, I'm not, I don't know if I should say names. Anyways, no, not with that company. (laughs) Um, yeah, not with the place that we worked at. No, um, uh, with CES as well. Um, we had a little there there's a little pond kind of further out kind of from where me and you worked kevin okay, um, okay. yeah it was just like a little spot that uh the developer wanted to a mostly do cleanup because there's just a lot of weeds there but b also kind of put some you know native scapes in there so um yeah so no i think it's like maybe a little bit south of where we were at working mm-hmm. at okay okay yeah. okay because i like think maybe I went to the one that we walked on together. They yeah. actually did more stuff over there. They seeded um, foul bluegrass all over the place. Oh. So it's not just bare oh. soil now. It's actually uh, foul bluegrass mostly. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Should have put some native plants in there, though. Yeah. <laughs> more native plants. Yeah. So, well, it just shows you it's a it's a process, right? And sometimes it's the bureaucracy or other things like COVID or who knows what that get in the way, but you know, we just got to keep keep slogging away and the masses will prevail. So everybody listening, share this with your friends and try to push for the government and the, the powers that be to, to change. Right. Yeah. All right. So uh, since we're getting close to 
Halloween, I had this thought. I think all of us have kind of been wanting to do something about this ever since we talked about the uh, the good old water hemlock back with uh, Ryan <laughs> on a previous episode. But we thought we'd do a uh, maybe a, a pick your poison or or not uh, episode where we went over some of the the poisonous plants in particular, some of our natives and maybe some of the invasives, uh, maybe some of the stories we have about them or things that have happened in history with them. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to make sure that all of our listeners are aware we're not advocating the use of any of these poisonous plants, especially for nefarious purposes. So please get expert guidance. And also, um, I just need to find it. Yes, patties. So that is Alberta's uh, poison and drug. That's it. I had to remember what the word was. Poison and drug info service. Anyway, if you ever feel that somebody has ingested or come into contact with a nasty poisonous substance, including some plants, please call 1-800-332-1414. Oh, just let them die. No! <laughs> Although we could maybe prevent the zombie apocalypse that way. I don't know. Anyway, I actually was really excited researching into this because... We could do a whole ton of episodes, in my opinion. There's so much information that kept coming out like, oh, this is neat. That's neat. Oh, this is exciting. But we'll we'll try to control ourselves a little bit. And we're going to have fun with this, okay? So, guys, don't take this too seriously. Um, so, first of all, I wanted to go to our, our, our big superpower poisonous plant. So, drum roll. What is it, guys? Is it, is it hemlock? Ding, ding, ding. Hemlock. Yeah. Water, Western <laughs> water hemlock. That is the guy. Um, we were talking about it with Ryan. Um, it's the one that Socrates uh, actually had the choice of taking when they sentenced him to death. And it's kind of got this <laughs> almost romantic history behind it because everybody figures, oh, well, you know, it's a... a kind of a easy way to slide out and 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 die and it's not not so bad as some of you know nobody wants to get hanged nobody wants to get uh electrocuted all that kind of stuff but then when you look into it it's actually not that nice do you guys know anything about it it hurts (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah it can hurt well Um, isn't it like a central nervous system like like that's what it kind of is attacking, right? Like you get like seizures yeah. and stuff and convulsions and all that fun stuff. <laughs> I've well, never tried it. Freak- I don't know how it works. You know what? Oh. Let me try it now. <laughs> you can no. Only- no. <laughs> you can only try it once. And that's that's it. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh man. No, um the tox the most toxic alkaloid in it is uh conine or conine which is actually similar to nicotine, believe it or not, but uh, much more potent. And yes, Dan, it disrupts the central nervous system. Uh, so basically you suffocate. So it's, it's not a nice way to go. So um, like when Socrates took it, he was sentient and aware for a good long while before he finally convulsed and passed. And uh, he, could fear, he could feel his legs going numb. 
he could feel his chest tightening and then you start gasping for air. And although you can die in as little as 15 minutes, you could also not die for 48 to 72 hours. So I wouldn't think that it'd be all that good to gradually suffocate like that and uh, be able to be aware all the way through what's happening. Ew. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, the uh, the form that he took it in was a, a T probably, which was more common back then. And uh, so that probably slowed it down a little as well because uh, it'd be a little more diluted. So, yeah, he'd be sitting there talking for a while and then gradually things start happening, which would be a horrible way to go. And actually, it was pretty popular with the Greeks and with the Romans. Um, I looked up some history with uh, good old Caesar. Uh, man, oh, man. They, they took so many names back then. So his full name was Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, one of the, the fifth emperor of Rome. So this dude um, had issues because he murdered his foster brother, Britannicus, his mother, his wife, Claudia Octavia, in order to marry another woman. And he had a base, basically a, a soothsayer poison maker at his disposal all the time, hired full time. So that tells you how busy he was killing people. And she aided Nero in probably most, if not all of his murders. And by the time he was done, he had killed a lot of people. So their, their poison choice was um, usually the, the nightshade or the belladonna because it has atropine in it. It's not native to here, but of course in greenhouses and out in our gardens, we have lots of relatives like tomatoes and potatoes are in the, in the nightshade family as well. So that's why all the, uh, the green stuff you're not supposed to eat, right? Like just the fruits part you're supposed to eat. So, mm -hmm. but anyway, yeah, I don't know. Do you guys have any further stories about the, uh, the water hemlock or any historical things that you wanted to mention? Uh, nothing really, just other than, yeah, it was just something I was always kind of curious about when we started learning about, at least Kevin and I, when we were at Lakeland, just learning about all kind of the poisonous stuff, you know, <laughs> the ones to avoid and how, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of interesting learning about, yeah, those kind of plants and more on the, really the physiology of plants and like what defense mechanisms that they uh, might, uh, you know, produce. And yeah, one of them is, you know, having certain parts or the whole plant itself being poisonous. and. Yeah, I just always thought it was kind of interesting, but no, I don't have any stories about <laughs> having a close call or knowing somebody that's <laughs> maybe taken it accidentally. Kevin Haven't has tried done that. killing anybody? <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about um, water parsnip. It's very similar to water hemlock, but is it poisonous? Do you know? Some it's, people say it's, it's poisonous, not as some poisonous. people say it's yeah. not. So you can eat It's parsnip. not as poisonous as a hemlock. Well, you can eat the parsnips that grow on land. I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest water parsnip, no. <laughs> um, yeah, that does it. bring up a good know. point though, because really all these plants are in that carrot, parsley, parsnip family. So there are ones that are safe and edible and you can touch them. And there are other ones that are horribly, horribly bad. Um, an invasive one would be giant hogweed. Do you guys know about giant hogweed? Oh, that's a lovely one. Oh, yeah. What do you guys know about that one? 
Not well. There don't really know much else. <laughs> that well, they're big and they're poisonous. <laughs> um, actually, how about Kevin? Have you had experience with giant hogweed at all? Just because it, I mean, it it came over from Asia. It's a it's not native to here. I don't know if you've seen it back in China at all, or it might be in other areas because Asia is a huge continent. <laughs> oh, I don't hear Kevin. Nothing. He's Do gone. you hear Kevin? Did nope. he leave? I don't know. <laughs> Kevin? I don't know. Anyway, maybe he uh, tried a cup of uh, hemlock. I don't know. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Let's go. Anyway, uh, I was trying to ask Kevin because he came over from China. Um, giant hogweed actually came over from Asia originally. Had you had any experiences with it at all? No, I was telling you guys earlier that I use giant hogweed to wipe my butt, and it feels good. Uh, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's originally from UK, right? I don't know. I've never heard of that thing. I was from a big city, so I don't know a lot about like that. But all I heard is that if you touch it, your burn. So, well, I haven't put again. I haven't personally tried it. Maybe I should try it one of those days if I run out of toilet paper and <laughs> let you guys know. No, no, don't, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> Ow. Anyway, uh, no, actually, it did come over from Asia, but I mean, Asia is huge. It doesn't necessarily mean your specific area. Um, but yeah, it what it does is it's got um a toxin in its sap that makes you photosensitive. So although the sap itself doesn't directly cause the harm, it makes you photosensitive. So as soon as you go out in the light, in the sunlight, you burn. And like we're talking third degree, like blister burns. So if you get it, like inhale the the pollen into your lungs, or if you touch it, or like any of that stuff, that will burn. I actually wonder, maybe that's how vampires started. Because, you know, vampires burn in sunlight. Maybe they had hogweed first. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Just made me wonder. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's the part that's so bad. And the fact that it's a larger member of the parsnip family, so makes lots of seeds, spreads down waterways really easily. Like, I know they have it all the way down through Drumheller now because of the river system. I actually knew somebody that uh, got burned really badly because of it and had to go to emergency so it's really bad like you have to have a hazmat suit to remove that stuff so it's it's terrible stuff um so yeah it's an invasive here because it's not native so uh it's one of the bad ones but uh what's another poisonous plant preferably either native or invasive that you guys can think of because i got a ton uh seaside arrowgrass oh good one yes and do we know why it's poisonous? Doesn't it have like something that's related to like cyanide, like the chemical compound to cyanide, or am I, th I might be thinking of something else. Um, um, well, actually, that part of it, maybe Kevin can look up quick. But um, no, I'm pretty sure it I... creates a. It's like cyano something, cyano cyano something, which is the cyanide constituent. Yeah. It sounds like. But, uh, well, I was also thinking, because a lot of these, um, I guess, salty, marshy plants quite often drop toxins through their roots as well because of the mm -hmm. higher water table. So on top of whatever the 
constituent is that it produces, it can draw a lot of toxins up as well. So I know um, seaside arrowgrass has a high salt content, which isn't in itself harmful, but because it's drawing up all these other potent, you know, like could be drawing up heavy metals or who knows what. And then uh, it also starts its growth period earlier than a lot of the other regular like forage crop plants, I guess, that animals would normally eat. So if animals are hungry in the spring and they start eating this one, they're going to get poisoned versus if they had choice, they probably wouldn't choose that plant in the first place. So that's one Mm -hmm. bad thing about it. Normally, I wouldn't think people would eat this one as much, but definitely bad for livestock and other animals. But yeah, um, did anybody confirm that cyano whatever it was in it? Uh, Yeah, just looked it up. Yeah, it does have cyanogenic properties yeah cyanogenic. Mainly, okay so that's definitely cyanide yeah yeah and they say that the highest concentration is coming out of uh younger younger um leaves of the plant mm-hmm. which is actually reversed from a lot of them a lot of them as they become more mature they require acquire more toxins but in this case it's the the young uh, green shoots that are actually more toxic. So that's another scary thing. Whoa. Mm-hmm. So they um, said that they said that in China they eat those. Just a fruit. Interesting. Oh, the little the little bulbules yeah. on the arrows seaside arrowgrass. Mm. Yeah, they said they Must. eat those, and it's good for um, like treating diarrhea and then. Well, they'll probably clear you out. Well. <laughs> uh huh. It does bring up a good point, though. Yes, um, some some plants, depending on whether you cook them or not, it nullifies the toxins, or depending on what part of the plant or when it's picked. So that's another thing that adds to the complication is some of them can be very, very toxic, but depending on when you pick them and if you didn't cook, like mushrooms, a lot of the wild mushrooms, if you cook them, they're probably okay. But if you don't cook them beforehand, a lot of them can really cause gastrointestinal upset big time so and death but yes in some cases because we do have uh i'm not 100 percent sure if we have the death cap mushroom in alberta but i know they have it in bc and that one is scary because it actually tastes kind of good from people that have survived they say oh yeah it actually tastes kind of delicious so You wouldn't think it's poisonous because a lot of times poisonous things taste bad, right? But in this case, poisonous things can taste or smell good, leave you very sick or dead. (laughs) So that's not good at all. The other thing with some of the mushrooms is um, there's some mushrooms that react badly to alcohol. So if you've had, if you've consumed alcohol before or with the mushrooms, you can have a very adverse reaction too. So generally they say if you're going to eat mushrooms, don't drink. (laughs) yeah <laughs> but uh yeah oh speaking of death names how about the death camas that one we have in alberta i like that one well how, how much yeah. do you like <laughs> not not to the extent that i'll eat it but uh oh, okay. and do we know how to tell the difference between it and other onion-like plants because that's the most closely look-alike don't know well apparently the big one is smell so if you can't smell, you probably want to get somebody else that can or don't touch them. But um, basically, if it smells like an onion, it's from the onion family. If it doesn't smell, it's very likely to be death camas. 
So you don't want to eat it. And actually, there's two species of camas in Alberta. One is the white and the other one's the death camas. And the white one is less toxic, but still, I just figure cam. And actually, there's, I think there's, it was the blue camas. There's another, a blue camas. It's not white, though. That's actually the roots are edible and all that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, when dealing with camas, uh, you want to get an expert to positively ID it or just don't touch them. Don't eat them because you could die. Um, back to what we were saying with the seaside aerograss, I was just going to mention. So with livestock, a lot of people don't think of this because we have a lot of ranchers and farmers out in Alberta, lots of land. And so people turn their cattle and their other livestock out for grazing. But if you don't, if you turn them out too early in the spring or don't have enough ample water and palatable food, it can sometimes drive them to eat plants they normally wouldn't eat because they're usually pretty good at figuring out what's poisonous and what's not. Not sure how, but they tend to be able to do that. But yeah, if they don't have uh, much else to eat, then they start eating some of these other things. And some of them can build up to toxic levels and take a while, like um, a lot of the milk vetches and local weeds. Because mm-hmm. a lot of them, um, they definitely can drop heavy metals and stuff. Like there's uh, a couple, well, hence the name local weed. They'll drop selenium in toxic amounts and then cause the animals to kind of go local, crazy. But those ones that they nor- normally would stay away from and not graze, if they're hungry, they start getting into this stuff and then uh, gradually start seeing problems in your herd or whatever. So that's another thing too. So it's good to go check your pastures before you turn them out. For the spring, turn them out a bit later when other, when the grass is starting to grow so they've got other things to eat and make sure they've got lots of food, water, and whatever minerals they need so they're not looking for this other stuff. Just a note. Basically, if you can't ID it, don't eat it. That goes with mushrooms and any other plant growing wild out because uh, there's some plants that look very similar to other plants and can be very different. Kind of life or death, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just got to be aware. And yeah. Oh, yeah. That's another thing I was thinking of, too. Isn't it funny how Mother Nature, not always, but usually puts the antidote close by to the poisonous plant as well? Something, it's not, it's not deathly poisonous, but it's annoying. And for some people, you can have a really bad allergy re- uh, allergic reaction to it, is stinging nettle, right? So it's a classic one. We've all oh, dealt with yeah. it. Um, it's really irritating, but usually mother nature provides and puts either dock or jewelweed, you know, something like that in the vicinity. And those plants can soothe and treat the, the stinging part really quickly, which is kind of amazing. So goldenrod, this one's funny. Goldenrod's not really poisonous to people, but it's poisonous to horses. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. And that's like why is that all the parts? I think it must be. I know because squirrels and deer and different animals have different metabolic rates and stuff than people. There must be something like that with the horses compared to the people too. And also realizing livestock of that nature generally eat more. Like we might have a cup of goldenrod tea or something. We're not going to eat twenty pounds of the stuff in a sitting, right? Like maybe if we ate enough of it, it would be toxic to us too. But horses uh, tend to be more susceptible. And maybe it's also because their, you know, their kidneys and that kind of thing work a little bit differently than ours or something too. And that's usually where the problems focus is intestinal tracts and kidneys and stuff. So I don't know. But that's just 
it was weird that I came across that. I've actually, now that I moved up here, I'm a lot more careful because there is more goldenrod up here than there was down south. So I'm more careful about the hay and stuff that we get for the horses to make sure there's no goldenrod in there for them. Mm -hmm. People that like to eat um, fiddleheads. So we know the, the ostrich fern is generally the one that people use for that. And it's fine as long as you pick them when they're young because this one, the younger ones are are better than the older ones. The older ones are tougher mm-hmm. anyway. But um, another fern relative, the bracken fern, um, it can be fairly toxic. So if people mistakenly get bracken fern fiddleheads instead of ostrich fern, you could have some issues. I think it affects, uh, again, your your kidneys and your liver and that kind of stuff. So that's not fun at all. Oh, yeah. And um, so historically, there's a lot of uh, writers, novelists, I guess, that use uh, poisonous plants. So we've got the famous uh, Agatha Christie quite often uses uh, plant poisons in her books. And uh, part of that is because she's actually an avid gardener and, and she <laughs> writes from experience. She has these plants in her garden and hasn't actually used them, but she's got them in her garden. There's also a, uh, an actual poison garden in uh, England called Alnwick Garden. And uh, the Alnwick Castle. I, uh, do you guys like uh, Harry Potter at all? In Harry I Potter hate it. No I... <laughs> no. no, I enjoy it. Maybe not the I mean, I'm not so saying I'm like, days, but yeah, I'm not saying I'm totally all over it, but I liked it. But anyway, uh, so Alnwick Castle was actually the setting for Hogwarts in the first two Harry Potter films. So all the all the wonky plants and stuff are right in their their garden there. Um, but yeah, they've got about a hundred different poisonous species of plants, but they actually are using it to educate children isn't that it sounds weird at first because you think well kids and poisonous plants don't go together and that's really a bad idea but kids also like gore and macabre stuff so it's like if you'd say here's a plant and um it might help make you uh, give you more energy or something kids like whatever who cares but if you say hey this plant here will cause asphyxiation in five minutes suddenly all the kids are like Wow, that's so cool, right? So anyway, this so this it's actually a lady that took over this uh, this poison garden, and she's actually the one teaching kids using the poisonous plants. So I'm like, okay, whatever works. Um, so what you're saying is so that kids are terrifying. Kids are just really no, I shouldn't say depressing. That's probably not a good word. <laughs> no, that's <They're>... adults. <laughs> Right. Uh, kids are just attracted to shock value, I guess. I mean, look at the video games and stuff that they play. They all like the, the shoot 'em up, the gore and the whatever, and they like to get the haunted houses and uh, stuff at Halloween. They like to get scared, right? So, actually, the kids like Minecraft these days. Thank you. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not hip anymore. I never was, to be honest. Oh. That's besides. The I don't know. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so they're utilizing this as a as a way in to start educating kids about plants. So they're using the shock value from the poisonous plants. I'm like, okay, whatever works. Um, so here's a story, real historical story. So this actually did happen, and and Google told me so, so I know it did. So <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, there was a Dr. Thomas Neal Cream. Yes, his last name was Cream. <laughs> this is what makes it even more interesting. Between 1878 and 1892, he killed uh, over seven women and one man, possibly more, uh, by giving them strychnine as medicine. Mm, strychnine is medicine. Not good. Leads to death. Anyway, he served a 10-year sentence in the U.S., and then upon returning to London, he didn't learn, so he starting, started his poisonous rampage again. And uh, so there he was convicted of murder and creamed, ha, 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 executed in 1892. Uh, some people thought he was actually Jack the Ripper, another notorious killer, but because he was in prison That's in the I U.S. That's why I recognize Yeah. So because he was in prison in the U.S. during the, the Whitechapel portion of the murders there was no way like it couldn't correlate mm -hmm. so but uh but yeah i'm like man these people just they're abusing our nice plants <laughs> <laughs> and uh oh yeah and if you're wondering how how back to the poison hemlock if you're wondering how poisonous it is so children have died just from contacting a hollow stem because Back in the day, kids would look for things with hollow stems to use as pea shooters. So just by grabbing one of these hollow stems, and then they die. No more pea shooting. Well, they probably put their stupid fingers into their mouth, and they die. We all die. I guess quickly then, I'll mention, so while we're at it, uh, some other... Actually, Alberta has a lot of poisonous plants, you know? <laughs> ah, just a few. But the thing is... is you don't have to be totally petrified of them. Just have a healthy respect, you know. Learn to, to well, identify the ones that are poisonous. And there's different levels too, right? Like some are going to be like your Western hemlocks yeah. where it's pretty bad if you <laughs> get in close contact, but some is just like, as long as you don't eat a certain part of it, or you, like you said before, like if you cook it, or if you don't cook it, because sometimes cooking it actually uh, accelerates, you know, the stuff to actually come out and the poisonous parts and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just all about, you know, if you're going to forage or just even, you know, do your own kind of adventuring, just, yeah, make sure you actually know what you're <laughs> handling and what, what's around. And if you don't, uh, yeah, make sure you ask an expert or if you're even lucky enough to bring an expert along with you so they could tell you <laughs> what and what not mm -hmm. to touch or eat. <laughs> or bring a taste tester everywhere you go. No. Um, but yeah, some stuff is still being and, figured out too. Cause like I've even heard about uh, uh, like some Artemisia stuff apparently like is poisonous, but to what extent they haven't really said. <laughs> yeah, because some of the sage family we use as a condiment on our food. And so obviously in small amounts, mm -hmm. it's okay. But in larger amounts, it again, not so good for you apparently. But um, same thing with Labrador tea. So Labrador tea, people have been mm -hmm. drinking the tea from the leaves forever, right? And now they're saying, oh, well, it's okay if maybe I have a cup of tea here and there. But, I mean, don't go to town on the stuff because uh, over time it'll wreck your insides kind of thing. So, yeah, it just, it just means to, to be careful, have a healthy respect for things. And really, if you think about it, to put it in perspective, things that we use every day are toxic. It's just, again knowing which parts or how to do it. Like apples. Apples have, um, whatchamacallit, in the seeds. The cyano-whatever. Um, cyanide, right? that's it. Cyanide. Yeah. I don't know why I'm blanking on that. But yeah, so I mean, if you swallow... Well, and that's the other thing too. So apparently with the um, 
like anything in the prunus family like so cherries almonds peaches right plums, all that kind of stuff so if you ate the fruit and then accidentally swallowed a stone if the stone stays intact and passes through your digestive tract you still don't have any trouble it's only if it gets broken down and the interior of the seed crunched up that's when the toxins are released right mm-hmm. that's why some people say well I've, I've eaten the apples or i've eaten this my whole life and never had a problem uh well either it's because stuff's passed through you without being broken apart or you've had it in smaller amounts and the other thing is there's a lot of variability from people to people right like so one person just like allergic reactions like one person could barely walk by something and they break out in hives or whatever and somebody else is like weeding it out with their bare hands and it's like what what are you talking about this stuff doesn't bother me but we have things like um so rutabecchia like the black-eyed susan um all parts of it are toxic to some level uh but it's generally more toxic to livestock again because the quantities that you have to ingest are more than like a human probably wouldn't eat that amount right We've got uh, our our delphiniums and larkspurs are also toxic. And we've got foxglove. Actually, I think maybe somebody can look this up, but I thought that the delphinium was actually an antidote to the digitalis, to the foxglove, but I can't remember. And, and that's the other thing too, is in very, very small regimented amounts, things can be good medicinally. So digitalis is a heart medication um, they generally don't use it now because they've got other synthesized medications. But back in the day, they they used it in prescribed amounts for, for people with different heart issues. So, and yet if you go too far, you die, right? <laughs> so, irises, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the lilies are, I mean, there are some lilies that are edible as well, but like, there's also a lot of lilies that are poisonous. Lupins, lupins, the, uh, especially the seeds are, kind of nasty oh yeah and then we've got ones like the morning glories or the uh the opioids back to the uh, nightshade family the belladonna that kind of thing they were used as hallucinogenics by a lot of cultures and again getting the dosage right is really important because a little bit and you go on this trippy trip and a little bit too much and they die like they had lots of people that died from overdosing as well even though it was supposed to be a either a religious ceremonial thing or um, a medicinal thing or some spiritual thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I won't ask you guys if you've tried, <laughs> tried opioids or anything because we're now not going there. You grow those. Why don't you just uh, ground it up and give us some, then we can try it. Yeah. Well, that's actually a funny thing. The So unripe seeds are toxic and, and all the other parts, but... As soon as you have ripened seeds or roast them, toast them, whatever, then they're rendered inert. So the the poppy seed that you see on your baked goods, your breads and your buns and all that kind of stuff, it's fine. It's it's opioid free kind of thing. It's uh, when it's raw or green, then you got issues. And it's also very addictive, which is a, a bad, bad thing. Same thing with, um, what's that one? The flowering tobacco, the Nicotiana. Like it's... Uh, all parts of it are poisonous. That's why they use they can use it as a uh, insect uh, insecticide or whatever, right? Because it's uh, poisonous. But again, if you're not eating it, for people who I guess generally smoke it or whatever, um, it's not as toxic over time. Apparently, it seems to be. But <laughs> um, 
at least in the in the doses that people are using, it's not like you're gonna die in a day, right? <clears throat> so I actually I didn't realize uh carragana seeds are toxic too. I don't know to what extent. I mean, I don't really care for carragana. It's a non-native. Basically, it feeds giraffes, and that's about the only use I have for it. But um, apparently the <laughs> seeds are toxic too, so it's another reason to get rid of it. Yay! <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. Of course, milkweeds, we love them for the butterflies, but mil- milkweeds are toxic. I mean, that's why the caterpillars eat it so that they can ingest the toxin, which does not kill them, but they, it just becomes a part of them. So then be- the caterpillars become toxic, right? Oh, yeah, and on a random, uh, different, but sort of the same topic. So I found out um, monarch butterflies sometimes are cannibalistic. So sometimes the adult monarch butterflies, when they're looking for those um, different nutrients, like when they're mating and that kind of stuff, because usually you hear about the males when they go to those mud mud pools or whatever, and they're trying to lap up uh, different uh, minerals and that kind of thing. But in this case, mm-hmm. so they they'll sit there and scratch at caterpillars with their feet until they scratch them open and they'll suck them out from the inside out. Now, is that not Halloween scary? Ew. <laughs> Just a little. I, I wouldn't want yeah. my parents doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Dad, what are you doing? What are you doing? Back of my head hurts. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Not so good. Kind of like a little mini zombie apocalypse thing. Maybe it can make a little movie, a Halloween movie using the caterpillars and the butterfly. Oh, no. Anyway, I'll totally ruin everybody's nice, happy vibe of, of the butterflies, right? Of course, some of the some of the names just sound really cool, too. Like dog bane, you know, the whole anything oh, with yeah. bane, baneberry, wolf bane, dog bane, all that stuff. Um, it just sounds all witchy Halloween or whatever. But yes. They are poisonous. And actually, Baneberry, there's the, the red version, and then the white one uh, has the nickname Doll's Eyes, too, which makes it even more creepy because it looks like there's a little black pupil in the middle of the white berry on those ones. Um, but yeah, they, uh, they say even a, a few berries will make a small child really, really deathly sick, so not a good idea. Like my parents, I don't know about you, but my parents just automatically told us, well, if it berries are red, you don't eat them. Just don't eat them ever. And of course, there's lots of berries that are safe that way, but it was just an easy way for us to stay away from all of them. <laughs> yeah, I think my mom taught me something similar <laughs> or mentioned something similar. Or actually, my mom just said, don't touch it. Just all the time she's, I'm running around. What's this? Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Okay, well, I couldn't touch anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and this is a weird one. I guess members of the mustard family, all parts that are raw and in larger quantities are toxic. And guess what? Look at all the canola farmers out there. So, but that, <laughs> the, the canola oil is processed, right? So that's why it's safer. But it makes you wonder how people even decided to use some of this stuff if it's toxic. It's like, hey, it's toxic, but we'll just squeeze something out of it so that it won't be. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh yeah, Devil's Club. That one sounds cool and Halloweeny, right? And it's mm-hmm. it's not like death deathly horribly toxic, but it's got those spines. And uh, actually, I didn't realize the leaf veins are toxic too. 
which is kind of weird because unless you rip the leaf open, I'm not sure how you're going to touch the leaf veins so much. But anyway. Um, right. Yeah. It's only if you're eating at it. Yeah. Makes me wonder what happens with the caterpillars again. Is it one of those ones that they become toxic or if they eat it, do they die? I don't know. Even the scientific name is kind of funny because it's, I could butcher this, but Oplopanix horridum. Horridum. That's <laughs> got to be bad, right? Oh, poison ivy. That's another one. It's everywhere, right? I think it's probably throughout most of the world. And most people oh, recognize yeah. the three, the three leaflet thing, but it's that oil. Um, it's called uh, Yerushiol. Yurush, I don't know how you say that either. But that it's that oil because the thing with the oil versus um, other liquids is it sticks to everything. So even if you just get a little bit on your hands, it doesn't take much to spread to all over, you know, your face, your everywhere. Like even if it's on your clothing and then later on it, it touches you somewhere else and different people react differently to it, just like the stinging nettle. But some people, it's really, really bad. I, I just listened to a podcast from another gardener and he was saying it's so bad for him. Basically, if he just practically walks by it without even touching it, he has to go to the hospital. <laughs> so it's like, ah, Jeez, yeah. oh yeah. Okay. This one, you guys need to, uh, corroborate this look it up so cattails generally all the parts of the cattail are edible from what i know but i just recently saw something that said the leaves and the stems can be toxic to horses like to the point of it can kill the horses i was like what because most people have a dugout or something in their livestock pasture and guess what cattails are the first things to be living there <laughs> So I'd like some reputable, a reputable source of information to confirm that or deny it because that just seems really weird. Yeah, I can't find anything from a quick search, but at least from a legit okay. source. But We might be able to put that into another episode at some point. Or if our listeners are out there, we don't want fake news or anything like that. But if you have scientific corroborated evidence to uh, let us know whether the stems and leaves are toxic to horses of the uh, cattail because I have horses, so I'd like to know. Oh yeah, here's here's a plant that we all love because it's in the orchid family, but um, I didn't know this, but did you know that yellow lady slipper can cause uh, mild to severe uh, skin irritation through the leaves and the stems? I did not know that. So it's another I reason for people careful. not to go pick orchids. <laughs> Don't go pick orchids. Leave them alone. <laughs> Let them be pretty and toxic in their own environment. <laughs> oh, yeah. And this is this is kind of a funny one, too, because uh, I realize this one's not native. But, you know, when Christmas shows up, everybody has poinsettias around and everybody's always freaking out about, well, they're toxic to your dogs and cats or whatever. From what I know, <clears throat> they may cause skin irritation, but they're not as toxic as people make them out to be. And it's generally yeah. that milky, it's that milky sap stuff that'll do it. It's not, you know, just touching the plant or whatever. But right. anyway, <clears throat> so that was interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, wild callas, like the water callas, all parts of them are uh, toxic as well. It's one of our native bog plants. And it's kind of pretty, I think. But I guess leave it alone. <laughs> um, 
Can you guys think of some other ones? I mean, I've got again tons, but rice. Rice is poisonous. Rice? Yeah, it has arsenic in it. Oh, like so? Is it the um, how it's processed that gets rid of that, or is it when it grows in certain environments or a certain kind yeah, of I rice? Yeah, when or... it grows in the water, it absorbs the arsenic from the soil and everything, and then oh. it just goes into the grains. And then when you eat those, if you don't wash it properly, then you just get poisoned. But I don't know. I've been eating rice my entire life, and I plan to keep eating rice. So we'll see. But it's... however, that being said, like. Um, I used to have a boyfriend way back and his mom was Indonesian and she totally instilled in us, always wash your rice at least six times before you cook it. So I don't know if that has something to do with it, washing stuff. I mean, some of it can be kind of like if you're getting the whole grain raw rice or whatever, it can be a bit dusty or whatever. You want to wash it out, I guess. But I don't know if it includes parboiled Uncle Ben's. Is Uncle Ben's okay? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure it's been processed so much that <laughs> should be fine. Uncle Ben's is probably not okay for other <laughs> reasons because it's been so processed. I don't know. Anyway, I'm not dissing Uncle Ben's, but I just like my real raw rice, I guess. But yeah, that's good to know, Kevin. Hmm. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. Bill. Okay, on that note, we're going to wrap up. I'm going to eat some rice and poison myself and... um. Don't you go? No. <laughs> no. Don't do it. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs>